Hello and welcome to the Golf Four Podcast, a show all about education and inclusion. I'm Richard Ingram. In systems thinking, we often talk about icebergs, those huge bluish-white structures found bobbing along, causing mischief to boats and serving as one of the most overused metaphors in the English language. This is because, as you well know, a little bit of them pokes out of the water while the rest remains submerged. Events in systems are like the part poking out. They're on the surface, as it were. They're visible. These are the items in the news, the figures in a report. If we look below the surface, we're faced with patterns that we can't instantly see. Examples of this might be tracking the fluctuating share price of a company, or the rising and falling of numbers of children receiving a good education. Go deeper and we see the system structure. The structure of a system, how it is designed, its rules, its feedback loops, affects the patterns and thus the events we see on a daily basis. At the very bottom of the system's iceberg, we find mindsets, what is sometimes referred to as mental models. This is our deeply held beliefs about the world. Should men and women be given the same opportunities in the workplace? Should children with disabilities go to school? These mental models, as you can imagine, impact everything above them, the whole iceberg. If you believe strongly about something, then all of your actions and behaviours are going to be affected by this. I might be prattling on a bit, but this is, I promise, relevant to our show today. Today we travel through the airwaves to the Kingdom of Eswatini, and excitingly I get to speak to a good friend of mine who lives and works there. Epsile Numalo is a senior inspector for special needs and inclusive education in the Ministry of Education and Training. Sebi has played a significant role in providing leadership and strategic planning for inclusive education in Eswatini and has contributed immensely to mainstreaming disability inclusion at all levels in the education and training sector. She joins me today to speak about systems thinking in Eswatini and different ways of thinking about inclusive education. Epsile Numalo, welcome to Goal 4. Good morning, uh, Richard, and thank you for having me. That is a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. I want to start by having a little look at the country you're based in, in Eswatini. What does the education system look like there? Would you say it's an inclusive system? Um, okay, thank you, Richard. You know, from a, a legal framework uh, point of view, um, I would say uh, Eswatini is an inclusive, um, or rather is pushing the inclusive education agenda, you know, from the constitution and also Minister of Education policy. Um, we are actually uh, embracing inclusive education principles. But of course, uh, policy has to be translated to, to practice. Now, there are some milestones because we are, you know, seeing um, learners who were not attending school, um, accessing education, you know, in mainstream schools and even in special schools. But, um, and also, you know, making efforts to make their teaching and learning uh, to be inclusive. But, um, there is a feeling that, um, you know, like I said earlier, that there are gaps that some learners are admitted, but you don't see the change in the actual uh, teaching and learning. In fact, what I've observed is that um, 
we still have a special education kind of thinking um, influencing what we do in the classroom under the umbrella of inclusive education. But um, the long and short of it, Richard, is that as a country, we embrace inclusion and we are making efforts to translate policy into practice. We still have a long way to go, but I think we are on the right um, direction. What is key now is to actually see the change in the classrooms, in the schools, in terms of teaching and learning, assessment, you know, what we teach um, and how we assess. Like I said earlier, there are good things that are happening, but we still have a long way to go in terms of transforming, you know, the whole um, education system from pre-primary uh, up to tertiary level. We have a lot to celebrate, but we still have a lot that we need to address. Yeah, so, um, so when you talk about uh, special education influencing education, do you, are you referring to the fact that special education is influencing mainstream education classrooms? Yes, uh, Richard. I mean, if you think that uh, we are coming from an era where um, a certain group of learners were not accessing mainstream um, education, they were going to special schools. And then we moved from, you know, special education to integration, now inclusion. So what we see is that um, even though we are talking inclusive education, we still see, you know, some elements of special education um, uh, influencing what we do in mainstream um, education, in mainstream uh, classrooms. Um, you know, there's still that thing of othering. Like we have so many learners in a classroom and these other learners or these other learners who have um, uh, different needs, who are struggling to learn and so forth. So that's what I mean when I say um, we see the thinking, the beliefs, you know, and even the thinking that there are children or learners who don't belong in mainstream education, but they are there because policy says they should be there. But otherwise, they should be somewhere else, you know, learning together because they are different. Um, they, they, they have different needs compared to children in mainstream schools. Yeah, you said that you're not seeing the change in teaching and learning that is required. Uh, why do you think that is? We, the change, there is a change, but it's very minimal, mm -hmm. I must say. It's, if you think we've had more than 15 years now talking about inclusive education, you would think um, the change would be much bigger than what we are seeing. But I think why we are not seeing the change that we're supposed to be seeing, it's because Maybe it's the approach, it's how we started the inclusive education um, agenda. It was focused on children with disabilities. And maybe we, we did not spend time in terms of um, engaging with the teachers who are change, change agents, you know, who are the key people when it comes to um, transforming what happens in the classroom. 
So I personally, I mean, reflecting on my work and what we have been doing since we embraced inclusive education in the country, I realized that maybe we sort of imposed um, inclusion um, on the teachers and we did not give ourselves time, you know, to engage the teachers so that they contribute on how best, you know, to change um, the system. They are very, I mean, they are the key actors and active agents in the mediation of policy and implementation of inclusive pedagogy. So it's important that they are involved and they are capable. Now, maybe the other reason is that, you know, teachers in our mainstream schools have been socialized in an education system where, like I said earlier, we have this group of learners who go to that school, they are special, they have special teachers, you know, it's like in those schools, everything is, is available. But in this school, it's the able-bodied, those who are able to learn. There's nothing special about them. So now when you change um, and you say everyone now should learn uh, together, the, the beliefs that we had have not been addressed, you know. Um, we still think there are children who are non-educable, you cannot educate them, you cannot teach them unless you have some um, special uh, qualification and you have all these other resources that teachers think are available um, in, in special schools. So maybe um, the biggest challenge is we, there are things that I think we did not spend time, you know, to, to address. Um, the beliefs, the values, you know, uh, the perceptions that we have so that when the heart is actually convinced that this is what we are supposed to be doing, then the hands are going to work. So I, I have a feeling we rushed to empowering teachers on how to do it rather than, you know, focusing on how to do it and why it's necessary that it should be done. And then how do we change then, you know, um, how do we transform and change the way we've been socialized, the way we've been taught and trained so that our thinking, our value system is aligned to the principles of inclusive education. I think the key question now is how do we empower um, the teacher in the classroom to contribute effectively in changing what happens in the classroom, but also reflecting on their own perceptions, you know, their own beliefs and also um, their own values. You know, they, there's something interesting that I've been studying, the issue of power, that um, schools actually, spaces where, you know, power comes into play. In terms of um, who decides who comes in here and what happens in the classroom, we think it's Minister of Education. No, the teacher has power um, in the classroom. The administration, you know, as in the head teacher has power, but also the parents, the communities, you know, they have some power. So what happens in the classroom, you know, if we want to, if we want to bring a change, 
we need everyone to be involved because everyone has a role um, to play. So I've observed that maybe we have neglected the issue of power and we thought when we come as minister and we say this is what is supposed to be done now, everything will just fall um, into place. The, when we talk of power, you know, there are dynamics that influence what happens in the classroom within the school, but there are also policies outside the school system, you know, external forces like uh, examinations, how do we run our exams, how do we measure success, you know, somehow it has an influence on admission in the school. So schools will decide I'm not admitting a second group of learners because then my results will not be good and the minister will be shouting at me, you know, and so forth. So it's time we look at this from a holistic point of view and we think of, you know, we think of a transformative process rather than just bringing a group of learners into mainstream school. We need to look at the whole system. Is the system inclusive? Is the budgeting inclusive? Is, you know, yeah, I can go on yeah. and on. Richard. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's so fascinating. And it leads me perfectly to a question I had about one of the projects you're working on at the moment. And this is all about capacity building the key stakeholders within that education system that you've spoken about. And as you say, this is this includes um, ministry staff, teachers, parents, you name it. Everyone's everyone's thrown in there somewhere. Perhaps you could tell me a little bit about this this capacity building projects and how you link that with what you described as the systems and the systems thinking. You might mention the UNESCO project that we've been working on together and the training in Johannesburg. Thank you, Richard. You know. Maybe one can start by mentioning that um, inclusive education and maybe special needs is a cross-cutting issue. Having worked in this department for quite some time now, I realized that you can't just be in a department and just work on your own. When we talk of learners with special needs, they are in pre-primary. You have a department responsible for pre-primary primary schools. They are in secondary schools and tertiary institutions. So one way or the other, one was forced, you know, to work with them or pushed to work with all these um, subsectors. But, you know, it, it was interesting that last year we attended the UNESCO uh, training and we were able to put a name, you know, <laughs> to what we have been doing and a very interesting, you know, term systems thinking for inclusive education. And that has sort of helped us to understand how we can never have an inclusive system unless we look at the system as a whole, you know, instead of, you know, compartmentalizing things and um, putting, working in silos. So when we attended the workshop, it gave us, you know, the language that we need to use and also the tools. Um, like you, you will recall that we had the UNESCO tool, which is about 10 
um, you know, um, areas. And it was interesting that when we looked at these uh, at this UNESCO tool, we realized that it actually aligns with what we call standards for inclusive education in Swaziland. In 2020, we developed uh, standards for inclusive education, a document that I would call sort of a guide, you know, that if we want to build an inclusive system, what are the indicators? What are the things we need to look at? And, you know, we are not looking at these things in or these areas in isolation. If you think of financing, it will touch on everything else you know, standard one, standard two, standard three. And in this case, the UNESCO tool, if you think of financing, then you need to be thinking about professional development, but you also need to be thinking of monitoring and evaluation. Um, as a Minister of Education, we observe that um, we work in silos, you know, um, departments, yet we are all, you know, um, whatever we are doing is should contribute to building an inclusive, equitable quality education system. And we also observe that, um, you know, we have so many problems and the way we've been working, you know, the traditional way will not help us to, to solve um, those problems. So we were eager to come back to the country and just capacitate everyone, you know, um, to embrace the systems thinking approach so that whatever problems we have, we are able to achieve more with little when we work um, together. We, we are able, you know, to use the resources that we have and to also ensure that we touch all the areas. Um, like you said that, you know, uh, during the training that everything is connected to, um, things are connected actually. You can't say I've addressed capacity building for teachers, so inclusive education or inclusive teaching is going to happen. You need to make sure that um, we touch um, all uh, the areas. So we've been running um, workshops for key um, stakeholders. It's not easy to reach um, everyone, but whenever we get an opportunity, you know, we we present one interesting group that we had, maybe one or two. We we had a planning meeting for um, the inspectorate, the inspectorate cadre. This these are secondary inspectors, and they are led by the chief inspector. This was a very um, good opportunity planning for 2023, 2024. 2024 and 2025. So it was a good opportunity for us to influence the planning so that it's, you know, our planning is uh, influ, I mean, is um, um, from a systems thinking approach, the budgeting and, and everyone and understanding that if you think curriculum, it's not just the inspectors who go and monitor. Someone is responsible for developing, for writing the material. And then someone is responsible for teaching, you know, um, and so forth. But another group that I found very interesting um, was the Association for the Deaf, where they invited me to come and motivate their leaders. And instead of just motivating them, you know, on what they do and lamenting on the many problems that we have. Yes, we have problems that we are struggling to solve. 
But I think um, I found the systems thinking approach to be a very useful approach to address or to capacitate them on how to address these many problems that we have been trying to solve, but we're not able to. And to also reflect on, could it be that in our um, endeavor to address problems, we are actually creating more problems? Hmm. So one example was we've had special schools for years. And we have a special school for the deaf and we have our learners who are hearing impaired and hard of hearing going there. But is there another way to address the issue of education for our hearing impaired and deaf learners? In the era of inclusion, can we have these learners going to mainstream schools, you know, being taught by um teachers in mainstream schools in their neighboring, um, uh, in their homesteads. And why I raised that was, we have a group of learners who have graduated from school for the deaf. Now they have to go to college and there is no special college for them. Now they need to go and, you know, learn with a hundred students who are hearing and maybe there's two of them in the institution. So they have to adjust now. They're used to deaf culture. Now they have to assimilate, you know, in a culture that they don't know because since primary, in fact, since preschool, they have been in, in this school. I tell you, Richard, when we discuss this with the deaf, they're like, you know, this is making sense. Um, <laughs> Maybe we need to go back to the drawing table. Is it still working for us? How can we improve it? And one other thing that I keep thinking about, I don't know any country that is doing it. Maybe I'm yet to learn of a country that's doing it. It's what I call reverse inclusion, where we are trying it now. We have hearing learners going to school for the deaf to learn with deaf learners because inclusion, our understanding is from a, a special needs perspective, someone from a special school must go to a mainstream school. But who says we can't have uh, learners from mainstream or rather regular schools going into uh, special schools? It's something that we want to try and do and again, apply the systems thinking um, approach in you know, changing and transforming um, the education system so that we, we, we invade these spaces <laughs> from all angles, you know? I come to you and you can also come to me and it's all normal, you know? It's all, it's, it's all acceptable. Imagine if you have children who are hearing going into a school where a majority of the learners are not hearing. Those learners are going to learn sign language. They are going to influence one another. They will learn from each other. And by the time both groups, if I may put it that way, go out to tertiary or even um, world of work, they are used to living together. It's not that one coming to me, you know, 
yeah. <laughs> so, but um, I, I think I've digressed, but we were talking about the systems thinking. For me, it, it's it, I, it's an approach that I'm trying to use to get everyone to think systems, to think holes instead of, you know, from a holistic perspective rather rather than, you know, individual um, issues being addressed, but looking at the system as a whole. And also, because we are always complaining about lack of resources, then how do we make use of the little resources we have, but to achieve more? Yeah, well, that's the whole idea, I suppose. And it's it's wonderful to hear that this tool is being used so brilliantly and exactly in the way that we had in mind when we developed. And a big shout out to my colleagues, uh, Florence Mijon and Jennifer Pai, who, who helped wow. put that together. And um, yeah, it's it's wonderful to hear it being used and it making an impact like that. And reverse inclusion, I love it. What a nice idea. I'm not sure about any other countries doing that myself either. I'll have to look into that as well. If I find something, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's such a cool idea. And you said about the, the deaf learners joining in mainstream schooling earlier, so they are ready to go to their tertiary education. And this is, a, I think, a microcosm of a huge issue within inclusive education, right? One of the, one of the key arguments is that, you know, if you keep, um, and I feel funny using the word as well, but different groups of students separated, they won't have any experience of interacting with one another. Will they? Yeah. They they yeah. won't. They they they're going to enter the you know quote unquote real world at some point, and True. if people have been stuck in a in a certain school or a certain area or, or a special school their whole life, how are they going to be able to adapt to the world of work or tertiary mm. education or or so on and so on? And it's it's True. such an important point that you raise. Um, yeah. Based on the on the systems thinking and the tool, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. There's something you've been busy doing is is setting up an interactive website for your department, and this yes. is a platform that you hope will provide information not only to ministry services, but also a place to share good practice on inclusive teaching and learning. True. This is something I'm I'm really interested in at a personal level because one of the UNESCO projects we're working on will hopefully develop into something like this at a really large scale. How is that going? How far along in the process are you? What have you been doing? So uh, sometime last year, we had a, was it last year, 2021 or 20, 2022 or 2021? Can't remember now. But we had a, a training Um it was hosted by the University of Eswatini. In fact, they have a course that they run for six weeks on online facilitation. They started this course um, after the advent of COVID. Uh, they realized that we had to go online, but you know, their lecturers were not trained on how to develop lessons and also conduct lessons online and even to provide authentic assessment. So um we were able i was able to send about 20 uh, teachers including uh, special needs um regional inspectors uh, to that workshop but what was interesting was that the university had been running this workshop or this course 
you know, for some time now, but we brought in the inclusive lens. Is what they are doing inclusive, you know, um, such that whatever content has been developed, it's thinking of diversity and even the approaches, you know, for uh, presenting the lessons and also the authentic assessment. So before we attended the course, we had a workshop one week where we were, they were taking us through the course, the content, and we were also modifying, you know, um, so, you know, bringing in the inclusive lens. Then we attended the course and we established some partnership then with UNESA, that's the University of Swaziland. Um, and we are being assisted by that department now to set up the interactive website, basically to address the issue of professional development. That, um, you know, we've been capacitating teachers using the traditional way, going to workshops. And that means you need to have money for the venue. You need to have the time, you know, to bring people together. And we realized as we integrate ICT into teaching and learning, why not uh, set up a website that will not need someone to be physically there? You know, at a click of a button, a teacher can say, I want to teach maths, but I'm not sure how to approach, um, uh, you know, that lesson or that concept that I want to teach. So where we are now, UNESWA or rather the university has set up, what's the right word now? We have seen a prototype um, of, of the website. I'm not sure if it's the right word, but um, we have provided them with the content. And so it's UNESWA assisting us, but we also have the EMIS department uh, in the ministry. Um, so they linked our And just page. to, just to, um clarify what what is an emis department for oh, it, it's um uh, education management and information system it's a department under ministry of education and they assist us also with um everything related to computers you know ict related issues even firefighting and yeah so i went to them and i requested them to assist and they provided space in the ms uh, page um to have the special education needs uh, page or something uh, please forgive me i'm not very good with the um, ict uh, terminology but that's where we are hosted and we have seen you know we provided them with the content and Right now, we are at the stage where we want to record some video clips, basically applying what we learned during the course. Fantastic. Um, yes. And, and then um, teachers then will be able um, to access um, the information, you know, from base, basic information such as what is inclusive education, when we talk of, you know, inclusive teaching and learning, what does it mean? What is differentiation? What are the policies that are available? Where do I go if I need help? If I need assessment, who should I approach? How do I refer? Yeah, everything, all the services that we provide, but now it's at the click of a button, I'm able to, uh, to see or to access um, the information. Great. So that 
we don't just talk about how to teach, but they can also see examples from real classroom, you know, um, situations. Yeah. Yeah, and what a um, what a fantastic initiative! It's that systems thinking in action, right? It's it's brilliant. You're you're getting up, you're going down the hall, you're banging on the door of a different department, working together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. going to the MS department, and yes. figuring out something that is going to help so many people at as probably not a huge cost. Am I right? You're probably saving money rather than setting up in-person teacher training workshops and so on by, by, and and I'm sure that's still important in some respects. You have to have some interaction, I'm sure. But in terms of the reach and the number of people you're working with, an online tool is, is perfect, right? True. Definitely. Yeah. Able to reach more um, uh, teachers. And, and educators without yeah. spending much yeah wow fantastic yeah. listen sebi we'll, we'll wrap up soon and thank you again for joining me on the on the podcast it's so interesting to hear mm-hmm. your thoughts on this i wanted to quiz you on what you thought about the future of inclusive education what are your thoughts as we head towards 2030 and the deadline for the sustainable development goals where do we where do you think we are what do you think we need to be doing? So my view, Richard, is um, influenced by the work that I'm doing right now towards achieving my um, PhD. Personally, I think we, we need to reflect on a number of issues. As I said earlier, There are gaps when it comes to translating policy to practice. And the question is why? What is it that we are not doing right? Or what is it that we need to strengthen, you know, to ensure that what we have as as policy, you know, becomes a reality um, in the classroom. So there is the issue of transforming teachers to become inclusive practitioners. What are the things that we need to do? How do we empower them? Because we have been running workshops for many years, but we are not seeing the change that we want to see. So how how can we successfully transform the very identities of individual teachers, you know, and educational um, institutions? And maybe the other thing is enhancing a reflexive stance of teachers to enable them to question even the oppressive systems and structures that we have had and strategies, given the history, uh, you know, um, of special education. And as I said earlier, teachers have been passive uh, implementers of policy. I, I don't think we have involved them that much in terms of how do we make this happen. There's also the issue of um, decolonizing inclusion, you know, (laughs) and using local, um, I mean, looking at the local context and using local resources and seeing, like I said, that for me, reverse inclusion could probably work, you know. Um, I'm looking at the context and I'm thinking, I have so many structures I have beautiful structures. The school for the deaf high, it's it's top of the range, 
um, but there are very few students in the school. How about bringing more students? And um, there is maximum use of their facilities, you know, um, resources are coming into the school, but also we are contributing to developing an inclusive society, not just inclusive schools, you know. So, yeah, having teachers participating as active um, agents, you know, trans, uh, teachers will think transformatively rather than just teaching my maths lesson and that's it but not contributing, but also the decolonizing, looking at our context, what would work best. The principles are the same, but when it comes to the actual approaches, what would work best for Swaziland? What strategies should we ha have um, to break the old thoughts about education and rethink inclusive education? How do we, you know, address the issue of inclusion dressed in special special needs or <laughs> in special education you know i my my work was around the speciality of inclusive education the power dynamics so the question that keeps ringing in my mind is how do we transform and emancipate teachers such that individually and collectively they can emerge as space invaders, you know, <laughs> um, with very innovative and effective contextual responses to um, inclusion. For me, that's the future, you know, that's what we should be looking at, that by 2030, the people that we call key actors need to be capacitated, but they are capable you know, on their own, individually and personally, they are capable of contributing effectively um, to translating policy into practice. Space Invaders, love it. Yeah. Listen, Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so interesting to speak to you. And thanks for sharing your thoughts and your thoughts about the future. It's absolutely fascinating and a pleasure as always to speak with you. Thank you very much, Richard. Um, thank you for having me and also allowing me space. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've invaded it well, I have to say. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. That was Epsi Lengyumalo. My huge thanks to her for joining me today. Thank you for listening. I've whacked a link to the UNESCO tool in the show notes. Please do check it out. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Goal 4. If you did, why not share it with your friends? You can also subscribe. Listen to a new episode every Wednesday. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Just search Richard Ingram or Goal 4. I'd love to hear from you. Add me as a contact, send me a message, perhaps even come on the show to discuss your work. Bye for now. I'll see you next week. <laughs>